Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. So joining us from the great Wild West, Wyoming, we've got uh, Ron Francel. How are you doing, Ron? I'm doing great, Al. Nice to see you, Julie. Or, you know... <laughs> I know metaphorically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good. Good. You haven't been sending my pictures out again, Al, have you? <laughs> y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. Every I promise time I, I haven't looked. <laughs> yeah. So now you've written a new book, Alice and Gerald. Yes, I have. It's a homicide love story. Al- yes, sounds kind of and, fun. Uh, it, it, well, it, you know, in some ways it is. Um, the homicidal love story. I, I've been getting comments about that subtitle as if, you know, we made it up to just uh, tickle the fancy of true crime readers, but it, it really is a homicidal love story. Um, I, I'm just getting back from the first leg of my book tour to launch this book, and I found myself uh, describing it to audiences as boy meets girl, boy marries girl, boy and girl kill people and live happily ever after. Um, it's it, as funny as it sounds, as, as incredible as it sounds, that in fact is what happens. Um, this is a book about a couple who separately and together murdered at least four people, probably five as the book reveals, uh, and then live happily ever after. Uh, it's it's an amazing story in that sense. It's an amazing story in the sense of the pursuit of these people uh, and some uh, really interesting characters. So uh, we'll we'll talk about that. I'm sure. So what drew you into this case? Like, how did you first become aware of it, and and um, what made you write about it? Like enough to write about it, I guess I should say. Yeah, uh, well, let me start this way. Let me say that, that the secret of my success as a writer is that I never pick a story that I can screw up. Uh, and Alice and Gerald struck me as such a story. I I, um, I saw this very human story uh, with a very human crime story. That's what makes this interesting. But it has these universal themes like love and persistence and devotion, um, which is unusual in true crimes, particularly these days. 
Um, I saw this by watching social media. I'm a native of Wyoming, now living in Texas. Um, but I have a lot of friends in social media, and uh, they started to talk about this a few years ago when uh, some turns in the case happened. And uh, then I started watching it in the media. Now, you mentioned morgue. I was working on that book at the time. So I set this story aside, and uh, I, I, I ultimately came back to it. Um, I think the, the, it was first the cast of characters. These are quirky people, to say the least, um, this homicidal husband and wife. But there, there are, there's a series of detectives who chase these ghosts over about 40 years. And there's this grandmother who who just simply won't let the memories of her daughter and, and grandsons die. So on one level, it's this American crime story, and on the other, it's sort of a Shakespearean tragedy. So this, this, this went on actually um, back in the 70s and up to 1980. So this isn't, uh, this was what you might call a cold case in a sense. Um, it isn't something that happened recently other than them getting right. caught. Right. And not, not a cold case in a sense. This is actually a cold case that warms up occasionally, goes cold again, warms up and goes cold. If not for that, that grandmother that I mentioned, uh, it would have died a long, long time ago. We, we wouldn't know who did what to whom. Uh, but she kept it alive. She and this, this succession of detectives, uh, but there are several times when this case literally dies on the vine and there's nobody there to champion the victims any longer and uh, so uh, again if not for this grandmother who's really the moral center of this story um, it's not usual that a modern true crime writer would talk about moral centers but uh, I, I wanted this to be um, something other than the ordinary sort of supermarket true crime. And so when I see stories that, that kind of have those, those deeper qualities um, and that give me a chance to write, uh, kind of make literature of it, uh, then, then I'm... I'm really intrigued, and and like I say, Alice and Gerald fit this profile. It, it I saw this tale of murder, but I saw a chance to write about a time and a place that I knew like the back of my hand. Um, the, the the Shakespearean part appealed to me. Um, I think it reflected the dark side of a lot of people, uh, not just these two people, these two this husband and wife. But it also reflected this kind of goodness and common face of a few others. So uh, it, it was it was deep, but it was a simple choice. Now, with the couple themselves, um, that's that's kind of an unusual thing um, to kill. Kind of basically your exes and children as well to pursue a yes. new relationship and yet nothing else really happened since that since that and that was a long time ago yes um and and going back even before that we see alice as this kind of unrooted um single mom connecting with all kinds of guys and occasional husbands. She has three husbands. So she's, she's a kind of hard case that, that kills one of those husbands and disposes of him in such a way that he'll never be found. Um, at least she believes and, uh, then moves on where she meets Gerald and they connect, um, 
in Alice, we have this uh, narcissistic sociopath. Uh, she, in, in again, I hate to keep going back to this, but she's Lady Macbeth. She will, she's ambitious, she's cold-blooded, uh, she wants what she wants at any cost. Uh, and she has a husband who will do anything for her, including murder. So there was that element to it. Um, these two sort of gritty, dog-eared people that, um, you know, rose in my mind anyway to Lady Macbeth and, and her husband. Uh, Gerald was uh, that kind of doofus farm boy who who also married and, and divorced three times uh, and was determined that he, he wasn't going to lose number four, and that was Alice. So he became sort of perversely devoted to her uh, so that at a point when she decides that his ex-wife really shouldn't be on the scene anymore, um, or, and she tells Gerald this, uh, you don't fix this, I'm gone. Well, now here's this guy who doesn't want to lose number four. And and in that, we have uh, sort of the, we've had murders before, remember, the Vallises, but now we have uh, an ex-wife and two boys that, uh, incredibly, uh, he's all too eager to get rid of. Ron, may I ask a question? I just um, obviously this is something that you're really used to doing, writing writing about crimes. But in terms of, um, the, as you've said, the, the setting the scene, setting the stage, all of these absolutely fascinating characters who you relate to in, in Shakespearean terms. What, what research did you have to do to understand them? A lot. Um not not so much the place because i lived that i was a teenager in in the wild west of wyoming uh, at the time these these crimes were happening of course unknown to anyone um in the summers i worked in construction jobs and in the oil fields and i bumped up against these kinds of people i knew the place uh the, the, the there's a trailer park that runs through this. So I knew that landscape and I knew the mindscape intimately. Uh, that was something for me that was that was important. For you, what's important is that I'm an old school journalist. I believe uh, as deeply as possible in being there, having my boots on the ground. So I went to these places. Uh, I stood in the spots where where women and boys died. Uh, I stood in the spots where things happened that are, uh, you know, unsavory. Uh, most of all, I look for that, that kind of narrative dust that settles on everything. I think it's that grit that makes it real, and I'm looking for it. And then, and then after that, it's just a matter of all the practice and taking risks that, that I think um, a worthy writer does. I, I and I'll say this too. I, I subscribe to this kind of um, uh, iceberg theory, um, and and it, it it you might only see ten percent of what I'd like to tell you. But the the book has its limitations. So uh, I'm trying to make you understand that there's 90% below the surface. And that's what makes it real. In this case, I did more than 150 interviews. I had unprecedented access to all the 40 years of investigative reports, the transcripts, recordings of all kinds. And for the past four years, I've had a correspondence with uh, Gerald Uton. Uh, whom I've also met and interviewed. So I just believe it's the research that uh, that shines through on a story like this. And in terms of the profiling, 
of the um, the behaviors, the criminal behaviors, or what led somebody, what what rage, what in um, what lack of empathy led people to undertake the crimes that they committed. How did you how did you go about that? How did you um, understand those behaviors? Well, first, in in this was my seventeenth book. I've certainly rubbed up against uh, the, the criminal mind a few times, uh, and so I had a basic layman's understanding of that. But there was a, uh, a, a forensic psychologist who worked on this case uh, years ago, and. I, I reached out to him, and and he taught me many more things, particularly about Alice and Gerald and their psychopathy. Um, and and it really kind of boils down to that, to Alice's narcissism and her, she's a narcissistic sociopath. And she loves nobody but herself. Uh, which kind of belies the homicidal love story subtitle, but she is in love. It's just with herself. Yeah. And the narcissistic sociopath has a few uh, odd little things that they do, uh, and she did them. Clearly, you see them at work. Gerald, on the other hand, I think we, I think we show in the book, I don't know who we is, I wrote the book, but um, I think I show in the book that Gerald is a kind of created sociopath that out of his uh, compulsion to keep Alice, he will do anything. And... So, and even murder, and even the murder of people who slept with him, who told them that, told him that they loved him, called him daddy, um, that takes a special kind of mentality. Uh, he's not, he's not, he is a sociopath, but of a different sort than Alice. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with that absolute need to keep her and would and for which he would do anything and give um, you've just described to us some of the the jobs that you did prior to um, journalism and then being a crime writer what would you have done had mm -hmm. you not have gone into journalism because clearly your interest in why people do the things that they do and how you make story uh, you know, shines through with this passion and and just the way you go on sorry no i i think it's a great question i uh i don't know what i would have done without journalism i i think it's the journalism that underlies all of this now, what i do is something called narrative nonfiction. i i didn't invent it i it's i i only use that style it really kind of starts with Truman Capote and In Cold Blood. Of course, he he was pioneering it, so he was making some some errors as he experimented with it. And I I am aware of those errors, but I I like the idea that you can tell a completely true story that that where I use uh, tools from the novelist toolbox you know instead of a newspaper story told in in fairly um, unpassionate terms uh, in a kind of weird structure I'm telling a story I it's completely true but I'm I'm using dialogue and foreshadowing and, and dramatic moments and and uh, characters not sources uh, I, so it's, the, it's looking at the motive and the behaviors and the emotions that lie be, beneath each person it, involved it's in just telling and, the, the storyline, what happens and what. Yeah, yes, yes, and absolutely. And and then in, in addition to that, seeing them as characters, not not just somebody to say, well, and then he went here and then he went there and then he said this. Mm -hmm. I, I'm trying to understand their motivations. I'm trying to paint them 
the way um, the, the way you would see a character in a novel, except that I'm doing it with absolute authenticity. Um, and those are the kinds of stories that I'm always on the lookout for. And like I said, Alice and Gerald fit that profile. It's just uh, a, a vivid story, a gritty story that doesn't follow the usual predictable beats of modern true crime writing. Um, it offered me this chance to write what humans are capable of, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that's just the kind of story I like. If I'm going to spend a year or two of my life immersed in all that gore and that mayhem, at least I want to see some purpose to it. I want to see blue sky. Um, I, I get so close to these particular flames I, I just want to make it worth the risk. I work in a field where I, I work with people and my main goal, I suppose, is to um, understand why people do what they do and how and what motivates them so that I can help them to, to, to make changes. And um, as I suppose listening to you talk about those characters and understanding them, when you're going through um, any research you're thinking all the time of different hypotheses and you're kind of testing them out does this work does it not work is that the motivation what what tells me that what evidence do i have to almost um dismiss that hypothesis or or, or or agree with it and validate it so was there ever a time during your research where you you came across information that maybe the police had missed or they weren't aware of that you fed back? And I suppose this question goes to any of your books and the research that you've done? Uh, yes, I think so. I mean, police, uh, police are looking for certain things uh, and certain clues that are, that are along the line that of, of, uh, of enforcing the law. Uh, now, they stray a little bit, of course, on either side, and they don't know what's going to come in. But once they get on that scent, then, then they go, and, and th- there, there's more focus to it. Um, uh, in this particular case, we had a woman who killed her third husband, uh, then went on, of course, to uh, be um, more than an inspiration, maybe a conspirator, uh, well, definitely a conspirator in a murder of three other people. Along the way, it became apparent to me that her second husband had died very young, uh, mm-hmm. supposedly from the effects of alcoholism. The more we explored what really happened there, the more um, the more questions arose. Ultimately, that man was exhumed, and there weren't there wasn't enough information to declare it a homicide. But based on his um, medical records, the medical examiner uh, declared it an, uh, an undetermined death, likely homicide. So uh, that's something where, you know, the the, the investigation has pursued one line and somebody comes along and says, well, what about this other line? And and they swing into action very quickly, but uh, they they just get focused on getting justice for people. And and frankly, it's... it's, uh, it's the investigators in this book that are also fascinating to me. Um, there's about six of them, men and women, who who are chasing uh, this this case. Uh, and I'm telling you, they, uh, they, they for reasons that humans occasionally run into, they they had to leave the case behind. But then along comes somebody else to pick it up and, and move it down the field just a little farther. So for 40 years that goes on, and, and to capture their passion for the case and, and what they did wrong and what they did right, right. Uh, I think you look at it honestly 
but these are human beings. They they miss things. Well, and that's pretty interesting in the sense that now Alice went through three husbands, killed one, maybe two. Um, yes. What made her stay so long with Gerald? Like, what was what was the difference um, in, her, in 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 staying with him? Like, it, it just seems like a total change. Uh, purely that she now had. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today uh, a henchman although she'd never refer to him that way she now had a henchman, a guy who would do absolutely anything for her, up to and including murder. And, you know, who doesn't, what what sociopath doesn't want that? Um, it, here was this guy that was under her control completely. And uh, I think that's what it, I think that's what the difference was. The others had uh, had things that she wanted or they were humans that she didn't want and so she took care of it i, I once asked gerald um did you go to sleep every night he knew about the earlier murders i said do you go to sleep every night with one eye open and he just looked at me like i uh, you know i had come up with the dumbest question ever and he said, no, we love each other. Neither of us would do anything to the other. We, we're in love. Um, I, had I interviewed Alice, and I didn't, um, she would have said something. She would have said, no, she never, never suspected Gerald of wanting to kill her in the night. And so she didn't go to bed with one eye open either. But, uh, and I did not interview Alice, by the way, because she refused. And if you think about that, a controlling, uh, a controlling personality, that's the only control she has, is to tell somebody who wants something from her, no. And uh, if she had given an interview, she couldn't control what, what comes out at the other end. Uh, she couldn't control the questions. She couldn't even really control her story. So the most control she has is telling me no. And it's total control. Now, Alice and Gerald ended up having a, a child, didn't they? Uh, no, they never did together. But Alice had five children um, before she met Gerald. One of them was a, a toddler 
when they met. So uh, the two of them never had children, but um, in, in in various forms, they raised Alice's uh, children that she had earlier. Wow. How and how how did the children deal with this when it came out? Uh, remember when I told you that every narcissistic sociopath does certain things that mark them? Um, one of the things of many is that they have to tell somebody. This is the narcissist part. They have to tell somebody. You need to know. Uh, what they can do and how smart they are and what they have done. After Alice murdered her third husband, she moves to another town in Wyoming and, and takes a job as a barmaid in a, in a roadhouse. It's about 30 miles away from any civilization. Uh, she has a 12 year old son and a tod- the toddler that I mentioned. The 12-year-old son, this seventh grader, his job was to drive her out into the middle of nowhere to this roadhouse to sit in the parking lot while she worked her shift. And then at the end of her shift, she would usually bring a six-pack of beer and they would head back to town. Along the way, they would share this six-pack of beer. Again, a 12-year-old boy... (laughs) driving the car at two or three in the morning, uh, drinking beer with his mother. At one point he says, he says something like mom, as a parent, you suck. (laughs) Alice's response is to tell him how she has killed this husband. Now this isn't a, 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 a distraught mother unburdening herself of of uh, a terrible memory, a terrible secret. This is a mother firing a shot across the bow of a 12-year-old boy who thinks she sucks as a mother. So the message he takes away is, shut the hell up or I'll kill you too. Um, so how does he deal with that? Well, this is a long time ago. This is in the 70s. Um, he grows up. Uh, and it's he who, be, who, he doesn't have any details. He, he doesn't know what police need to know. But he has that general story that his mother has killed somebody. And, and when the burden of carrying that around gets too great, he seeks out a cop and says, my mother once told me this story. Uh, and that, at that point, the investigation takes a, a, a strange turn. So... Uh, how do her kids feel about it? Uh, you know, not good. Uh, she has no relationship with four of the five. Uh, the fifth, the youngest, um, is kind of a double agent for the cops and for the parents. And she's reporting back and forth on all of them. She's giving cops information. Uh, she's checking on things for her mother. Uh, it's a very... It's a very strange, complex thing that's going on there. But uh, I, 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 in general, to answer your question, <clears throat> um, four of those kids have no contact with her. Uh, they kind of see her for what she is. The fifth is fifth sees her what for what she is, but sees for herself uh, how she might get something from that. So. It's very complicated. Sounds like it. And, and so, w- what's the relationship like now with Gerald and Alice themselves? I mean, they're both in prison, but are they still uh, together as a couple, mentally anyway? Uh, maybe mentally. Um, they uh, uh, Gerald is in a medium security men's prison in Wyoming. Alice was initially sent to a woman's, uh, a women's prison, um, but they're both in their upper 70s. Alice has a few uh, ailments, so ultimately um, she was sent to the geriatric facility of the prison system, which happens to be in the same prison where Gerald is incarcerated. Um, every night, 
they lay their heads down on their pillows maybe 20 yards apart uh, with separated by a few concrete walls of course um, they will never see each other again um, they can write to one another but um, they can't can't speak on the phone obviously can't see each other uh, they they can't visit in some ways because the law says one felon can't hang around with another felon so uh, in a sort of perverse sense they've been reduced to that but um, in many ways that's Gerald's that's the punishment that Gerald hates the worst in this that he can't see Alice um, and it's uh, it's interesting. It's once again, we're going back to that love story. He's absolutely devoted. Uh, while I didn't talk to Alice, I would suspect that she's she's okay with it. <laughs> she that that really she's she's the one she cares about, not him. Um, if he does share a pension that he had from the mine where he worked for many years. And he shares that money with her so she can have money in the commissary and that sort of thing. But really, that's the extent of their relationship now. So, Are there regrets, Rod? No, I, I mean, do they? How do we know that they express regret about any of their actions? Um, again, I, I don't know. In Alice's case, I would doubt it. And no remorse in, in the... For a sociopath such as she is, uh, there is no remorse. Uh, they can't feel it. In Gerald's case, I've asked him that very question. Do you, do you regret anything about this? He regrets being caught. Um, he, he, he speaks um, kind of sheepishly about, about the actual crime, but he doesn't express any serious remorse that uh, he that he did it um, and that and that's a reflection of the sociopath he's become is that he he regrets being caught um, he also regrets not seeing Alice um, but that's about the extent of it no not not anything. Uh, approaching remorse or regret for their victims. Well, he actually killed uh, two of his uh, children, didn't he, or stepchildren? Yes, yes, indeed. Adopted sons. Um, uh, his ex-wife uh, had two boys that he adopted and raised, and oh well, at least for a bit of their childhood. Uh, they called him daddy. He loved that. Gerald Gerald was obsessed with having a wife, having a lover, and having a family. And, and along uh, first, along comes Virginia, and she has the family. And so it's ready-made, and it's part of her attraction. Uh, ultimately, their relationship goes sour, uh, but along comes, uh, very, very quickly, along comes Alice. And she, too, has a family. So that's part of his attraction to her, uh, is that uh, the family he always wanted is ready-made. It's right there. He, he sees himself as a John Wayne-type character. He sees himself as this cunning, powerful, uh, protective man, you know, John Wayne. Uh, he's none of those things. He's none of those things. He's kind of a, a, a Nebraska farm boy without many book smarts, without many street smarts. He's kind of a doofus. Um, but uh, his self-image uh, required him to have a family to protect, and uh, here they were. So, uh, you know, he's a complicated character, even being a doofus. He's very complicated, and our in our conversations, he uh, he's he's like your strange uncle who tells jokes that aren't that funny, but he keeps telling them. He might even tell them twice. Um, he would 
sing me a cappella. He would sing me songs. He did play a guitar, but he just couldn't have one in prison. Um, he would sing songs, usually Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings, the outlaws. So, um, uh, he would recite poetry badly. He, he would talk about his Navy days and, and people he knew back in Nebraska. All those things that your uncle, your strange uncle, says at, at Thanksgiving. Uh, but when I would talk to him about his crimes, this kind of veil came down. And he was very distant uh, very cold, very matter-of-fact about it. And and they are grotesque. Um, but that what, was do they, what do they think of the book? What do they think of the book, Ron? What do, they, what do they think about you writing this book? What do you think that gives them? I, I think in Gerald's case, um, it took a while to convince him to participate in this. Of course, Alice never did. Um, and the, the, the best selling point I could offer is that he gets to tell his story. If he doesn't tell it, then the prosecutors, the cops, the people who didn't like him at work, the disgruntled neighbors, they're going to tell your story. So uh, I would like to hear it from you. And that, that, that became a very powerful thing for him. He knew I was writing a book. He was open. I have dozens of letters from him. I have three personal interviews with him. Uh, I think he was candid, uh, at least with the stories that he was going to tell me. I don't know if they were true, and in fact, in a lot of ways, I don't think they were true. But, uh, uh, you know, who's been a bigger... Um, who's been made more angry by this is the, that daughter, that youngest daughter, who saw the opportunity to make money uh, by selling her life rights to Hollywood and maybe getting a movie made about this little girl who's raised by killers, you know. Uh, so I, I sort of jumped her line and wrote this book before she did. And uh, I'm told that makes her very angry. By Gerald. Uh, Gerald's the one that tells me that she's very angry about me doing that. So I think that's more than Gerald. Have they um, had the opportunity to read the final book that you know uh, of? First of all, I, uh, no. Uh, I, first of all, I never, I never share my work with anybody before it's published. That's just uh -huh. a journalism, uh, a journalism ethic. Unless I'm writing about nuclear physics and I'm likely to get it wrong, I might show that to a physicist, that section to a physicist and say, tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah. But no, I never, first of all, I never show, um, my work to anybody, particularly sources before, uh, before it's published. In this particular case, they won't ever read the book because a true crime book can't get into the prison. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually honored that my earliest true crime, The Darkest Night, uh, is banned by the Texas Department of Corrections. Uh, so <laughs> it, it seems like it's not enough to just intercept the book, but they actually put it on a list. <laughs> so, uh, but no, they'll never read it. They'll they'll get summaries from the daughter. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Wow, that's quite a story. Now, did you think that they were involved in any other murders in the last forty years? That's a good question. I've certainly talked to the. Um, the investigators the there's the one that that we talked about earlier the the fellow who was exhumed um alice is such uh, the the sociopathy of alice is such that it's hard to believe that she didn't do it to somebody else so alice was uh, uh, uh what's the right word i'll just say doable and she had um, 
she had a number of what I'll call drive-by romances. You know, they were very short and torrid, and um, she... Uh, there's a number of them. She ultimately gets fired from that bar, that roadhouse in the middle of nowhere, because she's having sex with the, the I don't mean one or two, but the whole railroad crews that would stop there. Uh, and and pretty soon when they'd get drunk, you know, somebody, they, there was invariably a fight between the guy she was sleeping with now and the guy she was sleeping with yesterday. And um, so she got fired. Uh, so that being the case, um, it's hard to imagine that Alice didn't, it didn't maybe avail herself of murder when somebody did something she didn't like or she had no use for them. There is no evidence of that. It, it, this is just a deduction based on knowing that kind of a criminal mind. Now, now I was going to say, they, they never did find um, Gerald's ex-wife and two kids, or did they? No, they never have. So wouldn't that be difficult to prove then without the bodies? Uh, that's part of the problem here. Uh, for for 40 years, Gerald was always a person of interest, but without a body, without a, a, a murder weapon, without a confession, there was no way they were going to get into court with this case, particularly if they took it, you know, at its weakest form and he got acquitted, because then he could walk out of that courtroom and say, you know, I did it. I killed them all. I slaughtered them. <laughs> There's not a damn thing they could do then. So the double jeopardy that was always on their mind, that they needed a, a more water, uh, a, a, a watertight case than they had. And that just never happened. Um, they have never found his victims uh, and and that's part of the tragedy. And when, when I talk about this grandmother, she was the mother of the, the, the woman, the, the ex-wife, and the grandmother of these two little boys. And they were the only people in the world in her family. Um, and she kept that alive. She, she, she was spending every dime that she had left over after buying food for herself uh, on this search. Before the Internet, you know, this is making tens of thousands of Xerox copies and tacking them to to telephone poles and writing letters to people who might know something. Uh, for 40 years, she did this, and it's amazing. It, 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 when you see in the book the things that she did, it is just amazing. So um, she... She is, uh, as I said, she's the moral center. Uh, she never loses hope. And honestly, that's that's a rare thing in modern true crime. Uh, altogether, uh, all these people, Alice and Gerald and the cop, the investigators, the, the, the grandmother, they're, they're real-life symbols of, of evil, of good, of devotion. And like I said, they add up to a bigger story than just a simple murder investigation, and that's what attracts me. Wow. What a, what a great story. Um, how about giving out your contact information? You have a website, and, of course, the book is available everywhere. We'll have that up on our site as well, so people can do one click and buy the book. Um, what's your yeah, website so for thank people? Yeah, my website is www.ronfrancel.com, all one word, of course. Um, and the last name is spelled F-R-A-N-S-C-E-L-L, just to make it tricky. Of course. <laughs> uh, so what do you got coming up next? I guess you haven't even I'm working on another uh, oh. another story that kind of fits this, this same... Uh, the same feel, cut from the same cloth, and and again, it comes roughly from this same time uh, and this same place, the the upper Rockies in the West, and um, it's 
it's a fascinating case about a serial killer in a small town who, uh, you know, against the odds, is is never recognized, is, is never is never suspected. I, they don't. They're not even sure that these deaths are murders. Uh, at any rate, um, when things when the, when suspicion starts to percolate up, the FBI gets involved, and the whole uh, the whole way that we look for criminals, uh, the whole whole of criminology changes uh, based on what they do. So uh, it's it's historic. It's a historic case about somebody you've never heard of. Wow. If you can believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. I hope so. I hope so. Well, you always do good books. Um, Our guest has been Ron Prancell, and the book is Alice and Gerald, and it's a homicidal love story. Um, Thank you for taking the time to talk about your book. I was privileged to be with you and Julie and your listeners. I appreciate you having me. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, Hosts or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.